Hey everybody, if you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. Hey, you guys, just a quick reminder before we get started, the Other People app is available now. It's free. The Other People app, the official app of this podcast. Get it at the app store of your choice. Once you do that, the most recent 50 episodes of this podcast will be waiting for you free of charge. 50 shows for free. Then, if you want access to everything, if you want to stream the deep archives, if you want to be able to play all 350-something episodes, sign up for Other People Premium right there within the app. It's very cheap. It's as cheap as 75 cents a month. It's that cheap. Do that. Support the show. And then you can hear my interviews with people like Cheryl Strayed, Edwidge Jdantica, Roxanne Gay, Tao Lin, Jonathan Lethem, Tom Parada, George Saunders. The list goes on. Other People Premium right there within the Other People app. What do you think of that? Okay, let's get started. You are not alone. You have found other people. You and I have a friend in common. Every stupid thing that a writer could do, I've done. I think it's really beautiful. Jesus, dude, what a struggle, you know? It was incredible, you know, it was like your head exploded seeing what was really there. And now here's your host, Brad Listing. Just one person at just one time. All right, everybody, here we go again. This is it. This is other people. This is made in Los Angeles. This is unfolding in a waterless hellscape. Hey, what's up? I'm Brad Listing. It's good to be with you. Thank you for tuning in. Got a great show for you today. My guest is Erica Krauss. She has a new novel out called Contenders. It's available now from Rare Bird Books. It's a terrific novel. It also happens to be the official April selection of the Nervous Breakdown Book Club. TheNervousBreakdown.com is my online culture magazine and literary community. It has its own book club. To learn more, go to TheNervousBreakdown.com and click on Book Club in the menu bar. It's a great deal. It's like $9.99 a month. You get a new book delivered to your door every 30 days. And then on top of that, I interview all book club authors on this program. So you can read the book and then hear my interview with the author. It's an extremely enriching cultural experience. I highly recommend it. Hey, do you need some new earbuds? Do you need some new headphones? This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Tweaked Audio. Right now, listeners can get 33% off of any purchase over at tweakedaudio.com. Just enter the offer code other people, O-T-H-E-R-P-P-L. So, uh, what's going on? I went to San Diego this past weekend, took my daughter down there, went to the uh, safari park, the wild animal park, an extension of the San Diego zoo, but uh, with more open space, it's not the San Diego zoo, but I think it's owned by the San Diego zoo. 
It's got like open spaces and fewer people. It's a more enjoyable experience. I have a friend who lives down in Carlsbad. Uh, I had another uh, longtime friend who flew in from the Midwest. We all have kids, so we decided to take our kids to the zoo together in San Diego. So uh, Saturday, if you can picture this, uh, Saturday morning, uh, I pack my four-year-old daughter into the car seat, and I drive her down there, just the two of us. And about 45 minutes into the trip, uh, I hear her say, uh-oh, in the back seat. So I turned around. She got car sick. So I'm going like 75 miles an hour down the uh, freeway. My daughter says, uh-oh, and I turn around, and she's just starting to get sick. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> That was my first response. No, 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 no. And as I'm saying that, she just projectile vomits all over the place, all over herself, all over the back seat. And because, you know, I think I instantly recognize the situation like instinctively as being a psychologically delicate situation. Like, I don't want the kid to feel bad. It's not her fault. So I'm driving. It's like 75 miles an hour down the freeway. I'm going, no, 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 no. And then all of a sudden I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. Don't worry. It's okay. No, 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 no. It's okay. So that happened. (laughs) Aren't you glad you know that? And then uh, to top it off, we had to pull over, of course. And I pull over at the first exit that I come to. And uh, I go to the first gas station that I see. And it's like the worst gas station you could possibly go to in such a situation. The mini mart had almost, it had nothing. And I walk in and the guy's standing there and I'm sort of desperate. I'm kind of sweating. And I'm like, hey man, do you have wipes? You sell wipes? He didn't understand what wipes meant. You have wipes? I need some wipes. So then I had to go into the bathroom. They don't have wipes. So I have to go into the bathroom grabbing handfuls of paper towels and uh, wetting them down. I had to throw my daughter's dress away. It's like her favorite dress. She's sobbing. (laughs) It was gnarly. No, 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 no. So I'm going to go see a band tonight. That's another thing that's happening. I'm going to go see some live music with a friend. I haven't seen him in a while. I texted him the other day and I was like, hey man, I haven't seen you in a while. Let's get together. Let's catch up. I want to hear what's going on in your life. And he texted me back and he's like, hey, that sounds great. Let's do that. So uh, I thought we had a plan. And then 24 hours later, he texts me and he's like, hey, change of plans. I got some tickets to this concert. We're going, let's go see this concert. Free tickets. And I was like, okay. Because that's great. I mean, going to see a band, that's fun, right? Who's going to say no to that? And uh, it's a bluegrass band. That's fine. I like bluegrass. It's okay. But uh, there's something about the whole uh, arrangement that frustrates me a little bit, I'll be honest, because the whole point of the exercise is for the two of us to catch up. That's why I texted him. It's like, hey, man, you want to get together? Haven't seen you in a while. Let's catch up. I want to hear about what's going on in your life. 
And he's like, hey, yeah, I have an idea. We'll go to this concert. We'll stand side by side in a darkened concert venue watching a bluegrass band. And we'll just kind of bob our heads simultaneously and not talk. What do you say? Right? Not going to catch up with anybody at a concert. You need another beer? <laughs> it doesn't matter. It'll be fine. It'll be fun. It'll uplift my spirit. Seeing people play music is good for the soul, right? Bluegrass music. And I'm not, you know, the bobbing of the heads. I'm, I'm not dancing. I know you can dance to bluegrass music. That's not me. That'll never happen. I barely move at concerts. I just stand there, completely motionless. Occasionally, I'll kind of bob my head. That's what guys do. Just bob your head. Slowly. <laughs> you need another beer? All right, man. Good seeing you. Good catching up. We're not going to even talk. Am I being oversensitive about this? Hey, everybody. If you are a writer or an aspiring writer, or if you just love literature, I have a book for you. It's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. It is the long-awaited craft book by Steve Almond, based on three decades of his writing career, a career that has featured at turns depression, failure, anxiety, self-loathing, despair, self-doubt, loss of faith, delusions of grandeur, and the occasional triumph. It's a book about the writing life. Steve Almond has done it. He has embraced it, the full catastrophe, and he has lived to tell about it. The Boston Globe says, quote, this isn't just a book about writing. It's a book about honesty. And Richard Russo calls it, quote, one of the best books on writing I've ever read. It's also the funniest by a country mile. Once again, it's called Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories by Steve Almond, available from Zando. Go get your copy right now, wherever you buy books. My guest today is Erica Krauss. Her novel, Contenders, is available now from Rare Bird Books, and it is the official April pick of the Nervous Breakdown Book Club. So pleased to have her here on the program. Here she is, ladies and gentlemen. This is Erica Krauss, and her book, One More Time, is called Contenders. Yeah, it's called a poet because they write poetry. Um, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard of such a thing as poets, but yeah, that's what I, that's what I did for a while. But I, I was kind of hazed out of that whole genre people were like this stinks and who are you I, I got like nasty grams written on my on my palms like you are a sick individual and um why are you making us read this shit i think was my favorite one so yeah, that was those were the people I like in, wor in workshop yeah <laughs> people, people were that mean oh yeah they hated my work they really hated it um even at boulder i feel like uh the cu's got like a very like it's kind of almost too friendly you know people are every everything's good you know like everything really? 
<laughs> well, maybe, maybe for you, but maybe I brought that out and then the, <laughs> the nastiness. Yeah. So I, I got hazed out of poetry and then started writing fiction. That's when that really truly sent you in a different direction. Like the, the, the criticism was so bad. You were like, maybe I should rethink this. Well, it's just the sheer mass of it. I was like, well, I really can't be good at this if so many think, people think I'm bad. I mean, it, you know, if it were one or two, I'd be like, oh, whatever, F you. But, you know, with with me, like, it, was, it was just most people hated my work. So I was like, well, this isn't for me, I guess. What about it? What, what kind of poetry were you writing? I didn't think it was that weird, but I guess it was. I mean, I'd, I, you know, I'd go to the grocery store and I'd see all these weird meats, you know, like chicken fingers and – or. Uh, not chicken fingers, but like their actual fingers, you know, their okay. claws yeah. and their, and the like spleens of things. And I'd write about that kind of stuff. So I guess it wasn't very poetic. Um, <laughs> nor was it, nor was it appetizing. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe they were reading my stuff over dinner and getting mad at me because I ruined it. But yeah, I, I'd write about kind of, I think darker stuff. And uh, that wasn't where people, I think people would really spend, want to spend more time appreciating a snail or a, um, dandelion or something like that. So, right. as opposed to like an actual chicken finger. Yeah, like they were with the, they had the nails on them. I mean, you have to write about that. That's yeah. kind of crazy. Chickens, right? chickens kind of freak me out. They're little dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but you know, have you noticed chickens are inherently funny? If you are, you know, you need a joke or something, just bring in the word chicken, and it's and people laugh. It's kind of weird. Really. Yeah, just you know, oh, just bring a chicken into the conversation. Next time you're like, you want to make someone laugh. Yeah, a, see, this, it's is working. A, is this a trick you learned up in Netherlands? Is this a, <laughs> yeah, this is what they teach this us. This is in what they, yeah. Like. <laughs> up in the tree, up in the treehouse. <laughs> up in the tree. Um, so okay, so you switched to fiction. Mm-hmm. Was it immediately apparent to you that you were better at fiction? Yeah, I actually had great luck with that. Um, I the first story I ever wrote got picked up by the Atlantic. So no that was, yeah. So I was after eight years of being, you know, stoned in the streets and, you know, told it was terrible. Um, so it, that was kind of, and the thing is I always wanted to write fiction cause that's what I prefer to read, but I just didn't, it was just such a lot of words. I didn't want to write that many words. <laughs> it's, a lot of wor- it's a lot of work writing fiction. Yeah. It's just a lot of writing. I sort of envy, I envy poets and songwriters for that reason. It's like, you can write, right. a, you can write a poem in a sitting. It's like, you can just right. kind of, you can write one on a napkin. It can be really right. good. But like a fi- fiction, you got to sit there and just suffer. Right. Right. I know. And, 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 and you, cho- and, and you chose to suffer. <laughs> but yeah, I know. It's a special kind of special special kind of person who becomes a fiction writer i think <laughs> but and how old were, how old were you when this atlantic story sold oh i was uh i don't know how old was i that was 2000 oh, oh i'm dating myself um i don't know 30 something okay. 30 okay no, 30? I, just, I didn't know if you were like like if this was like i was 22 and just sold a story to the no Atlantic. god no, no. I, well I, I might have been just under 30 but i think it was hovering around 30 which is still i think incredibly young and I was, you know, I still think it maybe it was a little undeserved, but I, but I'll take it, right? Yeah, yeah. You sent, you just sent it into the slush pile. Just submit, yeah. submitted a call and they took it. I'm a slush pile person. I still use the slush pile. I, I believe in the slush pile, and I think if, if you're not going to read your slush pile magazines, you should not have a slush pile. Right. That's right. right. One so. would think. One would think. But how do you know if they're reading? You just have to take your chances. Yeah, they're not. Some of them aren't because I've sent. There's one magazine that I sent. You know, over six months, I think I sent them four stories and they all got returned to me with rejection slips on the same day. So I was like, no, 
No. (laughs) They're just just gathering them up and stuffing them into envelopes. Yeah. So that, that, them I don't send to anymore. So you're still writing uh, short stories and submitting them like to magazines. Yeah. I actually have one out right now with one story and one with crazy horse. So, um, yeah, it's, I, I, right now I'm doing both. I'm writing a new novel and I'm also um, writing short stories, which is completely schizophrenic, but it, it's, it keeps me off balance, which is actually good right now. So you, you work on both at the same time, not at the very same time. Right. I, mean, like, <laughs> I mean, I, I mean. Have, two, have two computers, one hand on each. <laughs> no. um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, one one day or one week, I'll I'll work on one. But short stories for me are like an obsession. You know, I'll be like completely obsessed with the story, so I don't so much want to work on the novel when I'm working on when I'm in the thick of that story. Right. And then when I'm kind of coming off of that, I, I go back to my bloated you know corpse of a novel right. and return to that so are you writing right now are you working on a new book yeah i mean i am on and off i like this is what happens i started i get really excited i write a lot of words and then like one day i realize it's just terrible right uh, and then it just comes apart and i'm just like Ugh, i don't know if i'm made for it like that's where i'm at today like a week ago i was like i got it you know so it's just, it's the thing about it for me, and I don't want to make this about me, but I think people out there listening might be able to relate, is that uh, I, sometimes I, I feel like there are certain people for whom this is really fun. Like, they, they're electrified by it. Like, that, for, it's a grind for me. Like, it's, I'm wondering, yeah. like, should I be doing this if it's this much of a grind for me? Is it a grind for you, or are you, like, genuine? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. It's not bit, fun. So I'm just a pussy. Like, I need to, I need to, <laughs> I need to toughen up. <laughs> well, I mean, you know what? What's fun? You know, fun is like ice cream cones in the park, right? That's what so, I want. in e- yeah, right. We all want that, but um, but somehow we just don't do it, right? <laughs> like it, I wake up in the morning if I have you know extra time, which doesn't really exist, but if I do, I don't go get ice cream cones and go to the park. I work on something I care about, you know. So I I don't know. I, it's fine. Fun. Fun is weird, yeah, but I know. Yeah, I don't I don't know anyone who who thinks it's just you know joyous and actually i do know some people who think it's wonderful and they enjoy those beautiful words coming out of their mouths but they are inevitably really shitty writers <laughs> i was gonna say or they're just annoying but uh, right <laughs> but i think though i think again like here again i think there is a neurochemical aspect to it like there are some people who are just really wired not that you, you know i think you can also muscle this a little bit i think you can muscle a good attitude um, mm-hmm. with discipline and practice and like really kind of like paying attention to your thoughts and therapy or whatever it is. But, um, some people just, you know, they're wired to be happy and enjoy things. <laughs> right. There's uh, science behind that. You know that there's yeah. a, the happiness study or something like that. Right. They all live in Denmark or something. Like, I don't know what, <laughs> they live in Boulder. Yeah, yeah they do. Exactly. <laughs> they're high. Yeah, but they're high as shit in Boulder. So I got to move back. Start smoking right? pot again. Yeah, you'll be happy. Yeah. So, uh, so contenders, like, how how did that go for you? Was that like uh, compared to other things you've done? Oh my uh, god, that was misery. Um, yeah, that was that was a really hard book because I kind of have a process by now, right? Because I'm so you know geriatric. I kind of you know I've worked my way into a way that I work best, and with contenders, I didn't do that. I just went. Well, what's the way that you work best? What's your method? I'm really thematic. So I, you know, I think of what I want to say and how kind of what approach I want. And then I, and then, you know, I have some kind of a baseline understanding. So when I do the writing, it's not, you know, as crappy as it would be if I just went at it blind. Right. But, um, contenders was different. I was working on a completely different novel 
And it was my first novel. And I had no idea what I was doing. And then I uh, then it was actually right after nine eleven. I was like, what? You know, everyone kind of reassessed their lives. And I looked at the book and I said, I don't care about this book at all. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't like it. And I, and I threw it away. I mean, I put it literally in like the trash of my computer and emptied the trash and, and I haven't thought about it once since. And then I thought, well, what do I want to, um, want to write about? And I thought I want to write about a woman who fights, but I didn't know anything. I didn't have character. I didn't have a story. I didn't have setting. I had nothing. And I, I thought, well, I'll just write my way into that. I'll just like circle the drain there. <laughs> and um, so I kept, you know, writing. I wrote, I think I wrote seven to 10 actual books worth of stuff that I threw away. Yeah. And yeah, it was, it was a miserable experience. I'll never do that again. Um, it, it took a very long time, but I, you know, by the end, I kind of felt like I earned it a little bit. I, I you know, I'm happy. I would, I would hope so. Yeah. <laughs> if you're feeling like you didn't at this point, right? <laughs> I'd, have, right. I'd have concerns about you. So have you ever been in a fight, like a physical fight? Well, I, I've trained a lot of martial arts when I was you know, from a, you know, a while ago. Um, I, I started with judo in Japan when I was a teenager, and then I, and I didn't do anything until... Um, Wait, you were you in know. Japan and taking judo as a teenager? I, well, I wasn't there to take judo. I was pretty bad. I've, I want to just put this out there. I'm really bad at it. Okay, like um, my money is on anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> not on me. I know what good is. I've seen good. I know people who are really good, and I'm not that person. Um, but you know, I've always been kind of fascinated and fighty. You know, so um, so what is, when wait, I was wait, what does that mean? You've always been fascinated and fighty. Fascinated with fighting and, oh, and fighting. Fight. Uh, I probably miss spoke but um yeah just been like a fighty person when i was you know like from a young age on and uh so you know I, i've done different things and you know i did a lot of karate and um some kung fu and what belt black belt but not not a good black i'd say i was pretty mediocre you i'm could, like a mediocre black belt not could a you, could you kick good, my ass i don't think so really I, yeah. You well, might, you might be able to. <laughs> I might be able to hurt your feelings. <laughs> no, but if like if I came if I came at you, if I was like, all right, I'm, this is it. I'm taking you down. Like you could you could probably defend yourself. If you're a black belt in what karate, taekwondo, karate, yeah, and I've done some other stuff. I I don't know. I mean, what what have you got? I got nothing. I've never thrown. Pu- I've never nothing? thrown. Never thrown a punch in my life except at my little sister. <laughs> at your little sister. Well, what happened? Who won? She cried. I felt. I felt awful. Oh. It's a, one of the worst things I've ever done. She was like. Uh, I was like in high school, and she was like, whatever, you know, fifth grade, maybe sixth. Oh, yeah. you her. Yeah, it's it a <laughs> shitty thing to do. But uh, yeah, that was it. I didn't hit her in the face. I hit her in the arm, but I still I hit her hard. So uh, She's yeah, tough. Well, I'm yeah, just kidding. Yeah. She needs to, exactly. She needs to toughen up. I mean, I, I Life's did, hard. I did. I did her a favor. It's going to be painful. It's going to be painful. Um, so okay. So like, I want to get into this. Like this. Uh, this interest in the martial arts and fighting, not necessarily like entirely uh, what you normally hear from a, a woman, right? I mean, I know right. there are plenty of women who are interested in fighting, but it's it's kind of like a a nichey thing. And like, this is something that goes back to your childhood. So uh, I guess let's start from the beginning. Like, where are you from? First of all. Well, I don't know. I mean, we moved when I was a kid all the time. I think I moved a couple times at least before I was two. 
And then because my father worked for IBM, so we just moved and moved and moved and moved. But that move also sent me to Japan where I had a lot of introduction to the culture and I got to do some judo and and uh, got so thrown around. So you're old, you're old, your dad works for IBM and you're just like travel. You're moving every couple of years. Yeah, it was it, there was usually like two years and a few months where, it, you know, we get transferred. But I got to live in Japan for four years, which was a long time for. For me, and then um, wait, and he, this was for IBM. He's in Japan, right? Where, yeah. in, where in Japan? We were in Tokyo. Okay, so you're like right in the in, city, right? Yeah, you which speak. is as a 13 year old is an amazing thing, especially because there were liquor vending machines in the streets, and <laughs> <laughs> they have all they have all kinds of vending machines in uh, Japan. Don't they have like you can get like a women's underpants out of a vending machine? Uh, yeah, There's one like of my- creepy ones. This is one of my high school memories. Going to the, you know, around the corner for me, um, going to the vending machine, getting my beer out of there and a pack of cigarettes and leaning against the used women's underwear vending machine while I consumed those products um, as a, you know, young teenager. You ever, you, ever see, <laughs> you ever see somebody actually use the used women's vending machine, used women's underwear vending machine? Like a guy walks up and actually... I, mean, I don't know. I, I've never actually never saw anyone put the money in and get it out. Maybe but, they wait till night. But you can see the underwear in the behind the glass. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jeez. yeah. And I was so young and naive. I was like, why would anyone buy underwear? And I didn't <laughs> realize they were used until later. I'm like, duh, they were used. Ah, oh, can't believe yeah, they were who, used. Who are these women giving away their underwear? Like you, you know, how does that all? Right. Right. Do they, you know, are you paid to wear it? Like you wear it for a day or, or do you just like wear them one after another and then make more money that way? It's got to be bullshit. It's probably just brand new and they just stick it in there. Yeah. I don't, well, I don't. That's in a situation where I hope they're lying. I hope it is new. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. You're not going to ask for your money back, are you? I mean, (laughs) you're like, these are new. I'm sorry. This is unacceptable. (laughs) These are not. These are not sufficiently soiled. I want my There's money back. There's no stink on these. Uh, I can I. <laughs> so you're living in Tokyo. Uh, where else did you live? First of all, like you grew, like you were born where? I was born in Yonkers, 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 New York. Um, and then we moved around. I lived a few places in New York and uh, Pennsylvania, uh, New Jersey. Um, in Tokyo, and, yeah. Did, did, you, like did you hate I me? Mean, I guess you get used to it, but you must have hated having to move every few years, just because you get situated somewhere and then you make some friends. Or did you like it? Did you like to? I actually liked it. I I got to kind of reinvent myself, and um, moving to Tokyo was amazing. And the thing I really hated was moving away from Tokyo in my senior year. Oh. So I'd been there four years. I had a lot of friends, and I did not want to leave. And I, you know, I, I had a job there. I mean, I had, I was really entrenched in, in that life. And, um, and then I moved from my senior year to New Jersey. Oh. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Where in Jersey? Where in Jersey? Awa. <laughs> I don't even know what that I is. Ha- I have not been back there a long time. Um, but yeah, it's up, up North and, but you know, again, everything has its assets. So I'd skip school and, um, take the bus into New York whenever I could. Right. So, that was nice. So what did your dad do for IBM that had him moving around like this? I don't know. Some computery thing. Okay. It's like we, we need <laughs> I think you over that's here. the title. Yeah. <laughs> computery stuff. I think he did some management something or other uh-huh. with software and IBM and computer 
Am I sounding technical? Because no, I'm, try- I'm really trying. Yeah, no. It's like, I think it's interesting because I have no idea. I mean, it's like a lot of times people have no idea what their parents do. That's normal. <laughs> yeah. like, I, like, I'm always amazed when friends of mine like know exactly what their father does, and, like understand his business. I like, I still don't know exactly what my dad did. And like, um, and then like, you know, I have like a very, like I've been to my, I think I went to my dad's office all about twice my entire childhood. Really? Yeah. He didn't have you at to take your son to work day? Never. Oh, really? Never once. What did your dad do? Just worked in the food business. I mean, something, he probably just looked at me and was like, this kid's going to have no interest in this. (laughs) What kind of food? See, listen, you're, you're vague food, food business. That's like 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 a lot of flavor. It's like flavors, you know, he was like, like the flavor industry and all that kind of stuff, you know? No way. There's a flavor industry. Sure. They're like inventing chemical flavors for things and all that. Oh, for like Burger King. They put the chemicals in the burgers. Everything. You know that? Yeah. The flame-broiled flavor. flavor. Yeah, you know go. this? No, I, Is I your dad did that? No, no. no I, I, I said I know that such things exist, but uh, oh. it doesn't surprise <laughs> me at all. So I'd have to ask him, though. I'll have to have him on the show. He can explain. Yeah, get him in here. <laughs> um, so, okay, so Japan. You're there. You're in an, like an American school? Right. It was called the American School in Japan, but it wasn't very American. I mean, it was probably like... I don't know, a third to maybe a little more than a third American. It was really international. There were a lot of Japanese people there and um, people from South Africa or Australia or whatever. But it was taught mostly in English, but also with this like kind of pidgin Japanese thrown in. Did you learn how to so speak Japanese? I did. I um, when I was when I was there, I also worked in a hospital in the death ward in this in this hospital. And no one spoke any English there. So when someone's yelling at you, get ice, he's dying, those words kind of stick in your head forever, (laughs) you know. (laughs) How did you wind up? Um, What kind of high school job is that, working in the death? Yeah, right. Um, I got that through some weird organization, you know, to expand my horizons. And it did. I saw a lot of people, you know, who weren't there the next day. Um, Did you ever see somebody die, like in real time? No, but I, there was a woman who, uh, she was kind of on, on her way out and she got her, um, her son in who was, I was, you know, I was 17 she got her son in. he was about 30 and, uh, she tried to arrange our marriage right there. Wow. Yeah. How did that go? I, he didn't speak any English. (laughs) I pretended that I didn't speak any, you know, I I spoke Japanese, but I pretended I didn't understand him. and, And that was how we all saved face. Wow. Was he good? Yeah. Were you into him? Was it? A, was there a connection? There was no connection because I was seventeen. I was like thirty. That's like a hundred, you know. <laughs> right. right. There is. It's funny that bridge, like <laughs> that gulf of age. Like because thirty, you know, when you're thir- when you're thirty, you don't feel that far from twenty. No. Uh, but when you're twenty, whoever's thirty seems like ancient. <laughs> right. Like dirty old man or something. Yeah. 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 So. I think it's, I think that, I mean, it seems like something that would actually be healthy for people. Like all adolescents should have to work in a death ward. All human beings (laughs) should have to spend time working in close proximity to actual human death. I think we would be healthier. I think, I think the world would be healthier as a result. We, we spend too much of our time, especially in the uh, Western world, insulating ourselves from uh, the reality of mortality. That's true. That's absolutely true. And I think we do things like right to get closer to it to understand it so we can maybe prepare ourselves for what's certainly ahead of us yeah it's, like, like, it's exactly right you got to prepare of all things to right. not of all things to not prepare for and almost right. and almost nobody does you know no. but, or, or like the preparation is very loose and um you know disorganized and sporadic you know what i'm saying but like it's the kind of thing that like should be daily like you should think about daily not as some sort of like 
you know, dark fixation, but just as like uh, a mental health exercise or something. Yeah, I agree. Let's just start now thinking about death. <laughs> we could just talk about that. Yeah, let's talk about death. What do you think about death? <laughs> I don't think I don't think death. I don't think death exists. I think it, death, it doesn't exist. Ooh. I think it's an illusion. That's yeah. where I'm. At, that's where I'm at with it right now. So what, you're what, just shooting for immortality. That's going to be your plan. Immortality. It's a first law of thermodynamics. <laughs> like matter cannot matter cannot be created or destroyed. Matter. Oh, that's is, true. Yeah. Neither created nor destroyed. Right. right. So yeah. that's, I mean, that right there. I mean, if the, you can't, if you can't destroy matter and you can't destroy energy, then why would we call something death as like, a, why would we consider death to be total annihilation? That's true. I mean, that's what do, true. What do you think? You think it's like uh, just the blackout, you're done? You think you go to heaven? What's, what's going to happen? I don't, I, 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 I totally believe that things move on and you take on different forms and stuff. I, I just think that whole, I mean, the ghost stuff and the, you know, spirit stuff. I, I just, it doesn't make sense for it not to be true for me, but you know, I, there, I know plenty of people who are like, that's just total BS, but I, I just think it, it has to be true. You ever seen a ghost? Yeah, I have seen a ghost. That's part of what I was like, you know, I could bring up my ghosts, but that's no, just really, no, let's get paranormal. Where did you see a ghost? Oh, I've seen, I think ghosts like me. It's a, like, I think we have a thing. Um, I've seen a few one. Okay. This is a really weird chilling story okay i was in i was living in a bed and breakfast and well, right uh, away right away you're gonna see a fucking ghost you're living right in <laughs> yes and well the thing is you know there it's a it's haunted because i think it used to be a brothel or something you know it's colorado so uh so i was doing my laundry and i was coming in through you know this other door or whatever and there was this bar where guests would get drinks and cookies and things and um you know i nodded at this guest there this woman she had bangs and long hair and um she's about my height you know not not too tall and then um she knocked over this ginormous pitcher of water but like it was weird she didn't knock it over she kind of like picked it up and put it on its side and water went everywhere like all over the place I'm like, shit, you know and ice and whatever and i look up and you know to just say oh that's okay i'll get it you know and she um she kind of collapsed and disappeared you're fucking <laughs> are you fucking were you high was this in netherland no this is in, no this is in boulder and i was not where, high where was this in boulder this is um it was a little bit up the canyon where a lot of people die in cars. So um like Boulder Canyon or like Yeah, Boulder like, Canyon. Yeah. yeah. Okay. There's actually a white cross across the street from this B&B so I, I kind of wonder like, oh, maybe it was her. Um yeah, and and it was the kind of place where there was nowhere she could have gone, you know, but I'm looking behind the bar and like what what happened? Wait, 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 what did she what did she uh what was she dressed like? Was she dressed in period? No, that's what I was thinking about later. I didn't notice any period clothes. I, I didn't notice her hair. Um, she seemed to be Latino, Latina. And um, she had lo- like bangs and long, long black hair. Um, and she she just looked kind of like a normal person, which is why I was like, hi, you know. And then, uh, yeah. And apparently um, three innkeepers had quit over the previous week because uh she was haunting them they were she did she does stuff with drinks i guess she'd like bring a champagne glass to the middle of the floor and smash it or she'd pour tea for somebody you know when there was no one else in the inn so and like leave it for the innkeeper so she was all about drinks beverages yeah what the fuck man that's creepy i've seen a few more but that was the most dramatic you've seen a few more 
Yeah, like they have it. They like me. You see Ghost? them. You see them, and like, like, because yeah. this is the thing about people who see. Like, I, I, they don't like me. At least not yet. Really? So, no. I like. I, like, I would love to see something paranormal, like, so that I could have like some verification. Um, mm. But I never do, and so then I hear from people who say they have, and it's hard for me to always a hundred percent believe. You saw these things. You seem like a totally rational person. Like, <laughs> Like, what do these ghosts look like? Do they glow like ghosts? They just, this woman just yeah. looked like a total person, like a full well, person. you know what? I only saw her out of the corner of my eye. And But it, you know when you're standing next to someone, you feel them kind of, you know, because there are people alive next to you? She was. It felt like that, you know, and, I, and it was dark, and I saw definitely features and outline. I don't know if she was see-through or not. Um, I did see another ghost crossing the canyon, again, the canyon, um, as I was driving up it. And it was, uh, he was like this column of white. It looked like snow, but it was a person-shaped snow crossing, crossing the street. It was a Yeti. And then, check this out, right then, I mean, this is just too weird, but right, and I was looking, I was like, is that a guy, you know, uh, what, what happened here? And, um, and then this lyric came on the radio <laughs> that said, sometimes I feel like I'm a ghost, that no one can see while others, they walk, he was, he was drive by or walk by and stare. What the fuck? I know. I was like, this is just too bizarre. But, um, is that an actual song or did he like come? Yeah. He did it's, it's this, this song by, what's his name? You know, the guy. You were by yourself? Yeah. You were driving at what kind of speed? I don't know, like 40, 45. So that's another, another ghost you saw in Boulder Canyon. Yeah. Yeah. The canyon's full of ghosts, I guess. And, I'm not alone in this, by the way. Tons of people have seen ghosts around here. Really? Oh, yeah. I lived, I lived there for eight years. I didn't see shit. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. Do you ever like just see something in the corner of your eye and you're like, that could be, that could be something, you know? And then you look, but by the time you look, you've already decided that it's nothing because you don't want it to be okay, something. I'll, I'll tell you my, I told, this is the only time I've ever had like what I felt like could have potentially been something weird and paranormal. You want to hear, this is kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and I and I have to apologize in advance to my listeners because it involves the Appalachian Trail, which I've talked about too much on this program and have been <laughs> criticized for before. But I hiked on it uh, for a summer right after I graduated from Boulder. Nice. And I had my dog with me. I don't know if I've talked about this before, but anyway, uh, speaking to your paranormal experiences, like I was in North Carolina, and it was uh, you know middle of the day or maybe in the morning because the clouds were still low in the trees. It was like that kind of weird, eerie like. Fog, fog in the woods kind of thing right and uh we came out of the woods into a clearing and it was it was near a parking lot but there was nobody around um you know except straight ahead there were two young kids mm-hmm. and it was like a, a young girl who's probably like seven or eight years old and then like a younger sibling mm-hmm. and my dog uh, merlin who was completely docile he was a friendly dog went absolutely ape shit. He would not <laughs> he wouldn't go near him. Like he started <laughs> he started barking, backing up, and what's weird is that the kids didn't react. Like they just kept walking towards us. They didn't look at me. They oh. didn't like talk. They didn't make any like acknowledgement of the dog. And my dog was just terrified. And then I just I got a little I was creeped out and I just kept walking and moved past them. <laughs> but they might have just been weird like hillbilly kids. I don't know, you know. Did you I, get a good look at them? I, yeah, I mean, they were just like they were kids, you know. Right. But it was just it was just so odd that my dog would be that spooked by them, and that I mean, it didn't it didn't help that like it was all like fog in the woods. I mean, it was like you know. <laughs> right. I don't know. 
Good weather for ghosts. They were probably just, you know, weird kids who are vibing my dog wrong. Who knows what they were? Well, I don't know. It's kind of weird for seven or eight-year-olds to be walking by themselves. That's what I thought. I didn't see any parents around. I was just like, what? And, and they didn't seem frightened. You know, like they weren't like, my dog is like losing his mind and they didn't, they didn't even react to it. So. <laughs> wow. You saw ghosts. Maybe so. We'll see. I, you know, I, I'm not sure. Now I'm in my, I'm in my garage and it's all dark in here. So now I'm <laughs> officially creeped out. That's especially where the ghosts like to be, garages. Did you, did you ever see a ghost as a kid? <laughs> Ah uh, no. No, it happened no, started like later when you were older. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's I think the the first one I actually saw was that, you know, the water glass jug person. Right. And then and then I saw a whole bunch of them for a while and then <clears throat> just here and there. And you, then you got any you have any like psychic abilities? You ever have premonitions? I I really guessed in advance that you were gonna ask me that question. <laughs> well, that's a natural <laughs> that's a natural there's some natural connectivity. This I have done. <laughs> I have had premonitions before, but I think that, you know. Really? Sure. What did you predict? An earthquake. No. Yeah, and I tweeted about it, so there's a record of this. I've talked Ooh, about hey. this before. Yeah. Really? I, I smelled it. It was a, like the weirdest thing happened where like I was sitting in front of my computer and I just tweeted, I smell an earthquake, which is a weird thing to tweet. That's a very weird uh, thing. And then there was, a, like, there was an earthquake like you know two or three hours later. Like wow. That. It was just too random to not have some sort of corollary. I mean, it can't be. I mean, it was just, it was too random. Like there's something. Unless you're tweeting, I smell an earthquake like every day. <laughs> it's the only time I've ever. Wow, uh, that's so bizarre. Did you feel bad? Like you could have helped people by um, no, doing I felt something cool. more than tweeting. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, right. I was like, I, yeah. People, people's like livelihoods are going away. I'm like, I called it. I called it. <laughs> that's me. <laughs> Did it. <laughs> It's like your car is swallowed into like a massive crevasse. Um, but I called it. Yeah. So, okay. So paranormal stuff and fighting. This is an interesting personality profile we have going for you. I think it's probably pretty accurate. I'm not, you know, I'm not a fighter actually. I'm not, I'm not very good. Like, uh, you know. Have you ever I, had to use it? Like, has anyone ever come at you and you had to use your, uh, your black belt? Well, seems like, yeah, I can't, you know, I have some fuzzy I mean, like it's okay. If you're a woman and you're, you know, you're in a, an area of town, um, a lot of it is just kind of how you present yourself. Not that, you know, if a woman's attacked, that's somehow on her, it's not, but you know, predators look for prey. And if you don't really, uh, if you're not having that, uh, I think it comes across, not that, you know, I have all that much confidence in my ability to really do anything in a situation, but I do know some things. And, um, so I, I think, I think it's prevented some things. There've been things that have escalated, but then very quickly, uh, been sort of just negated by the fact that I wasn't, I'm not going to have it. So what do you you mean? Like when you you say, I'm not going to have that, like, is it just like a vibe you put off? Are you actually saying something? Are you like dropping into a karate pose or like, what do you know? I might just say, I'm not going to have that. (laughs) Um, but you know, it's like a, you know, not cowering away or shrinking away. You know, it's, it's to me, it's just an attitude like, um, or just not more than an attitude. It's just kind of, you're not going to have it. You know, it's not going to, this isn't going to happen. Right. Yeah. Because like, yeah, no one wants like they yeah these guys these creepy people don't want to they don't want to fight. No. See, no. so now I'm thinking like every every human being should have to spend time in a death ward as just like right. a prerequisite to life, and, and I think every human being should have to get a black belt in martial arts. If all of us, 
<laughs> if all of us were black belts, then conflict would be a lot more like cinematic and interesting. Like it would, or there wouldn't be any. Yeah, right? exactly. It'd be like, oh, well, you know, I don't know if I can take this person, or just, people would just be squaring off and like really like, you know, almost like beautifully choreographed, as I'm imagining it, uh, martial arts uh, conflicts. Do you know what I'm saying? Actually, they're really not that great looking. You know, that some of the things I've yeah, you know, or at least when I've trained, you know, it's usually just kind of gross looking. I mean, it's like sweaty and weird, you know, yeah. like, you know, it's, it's very technical. And, and actually, you know, if you're training, it's, it's really fun. You know, everyone's smiling and laughing and, you know, it's like very joyous. It's so, which is, it feels contradictory to people who, if they've never done it, they're like, Oh, fighting you, you know, how can you even train it without being injured all the time? But really, you know, the last thing you want to do is hurt somebody that you're training with and, um, and it's, you know, it's fun. It's, but you know, again, I'm at a really low level. It's when I think when people get way up there, there are other, other things going on. Yeah. What is like the high level? I mean, I know you can get, become a black belt and like, there's obviously competitive ju- mm-hmm. judo and taekwondo and all that kind of stuff. There's like tournaments and stuff, but like, <laughs> you know, I guess back in the day you had like the ninjas and you had, <laughs> are, there, are there people out there, martial artists out there who are like at that level, like in America walking the streets? I guess there. Oh must yeah, be. I mean there are all these MMA people around, and um, you know in Boulder too. Like you'll you'll see people, and um, I have a really good memory of. The, there's a guy who he holds the the record of the fastest knockout in MMA history, um, and he. I was training with, so I, I, you know, there aren't a lot of women to train with. So usually you're training with men. And I was, of course, getting my ass handed to me. And he, this guy was just like grinding my face. And, you know, in, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And I was covered in his sweat and it was disgusting. Uh, and he was just like good. hurting me and like ripping my hair out. And it was just like, he was just like showing me his boss, right? And then, and this fighter, you know, was, was training there at the same time. And, and he ran by. He's like, yeah, you show her. Really? <laughs> you show her. But... But he was like being completely sarcastic, right? But the guy didn't realize. It. <laughs> <laughs> so he started getting more aggressive and like <laughs> more you, punishing. You... And I was laughing. <laughs> Wait, you were laughing? Was this guy beating you up? Well, it's funny, you know, because you know, here's this professional fighter. It's like, yeah, you show that girl <laughs> what you're made of, right? <laughs> The guy's like, yeah. Well, so he what looked you, at me. What do you? What do you? What do you think of uh, MMA? I can't watch MMA. It makes me like, oh, really? no, yeah, it makes me like nauseous to watch it. Oh, why is that? I, just seeing people be, get beat on people. Like, I mean, it's not like it's not like I actually get physically ill, but you, I just feel I feel uh, uh, like I can't watch this. These guys are just beating the shit out of each other. Like, it seems mm. seems uh, too brutal to me. It is well, it can be, but you know, you have to think of it as like. For you, it's more of an emotional thing. For them, it's not. You know, all the sport fighting, that's not emo- – I mean, they try and bring emotion into it to sell tickets. Like, they have grudge matches and stuff. But most of those people are just friends. And, you know, it's – I mean, I'm talking like I know. I don't know. Friends, but um, Friends who give each other brain damage. You know? right. <laughs> friends right. who, like, have cauliflower ear and, like – Right. You know, um, oh, I know the ears. Yeah, the, really the, the ears I was starting the... to get them, actually. I was like, oh, my God, i got to stop. <laughs> See, but you're terrible. you're tough. You don't. Care. I'm not. I sound no. I I'm. I was getting them because I was getting beaten up, not because I was doing anything. But like you, there's just a the fact that difference. you would put yourself in a position to be beat up. I'd stay away. I'd be like, no, I'm, I'm going to go hide. Like you would actually go into the into the uh, the octagon. No, no, not the octagon. No, no, no. I wouldn't be good enough. First of all, um, and I, you know, I don't have that actually. You know, I, I know people who have that real fighting 
spirit. And I, I think I have, I have a little of it, but it, for me, it's really applies to writing. You know, that's where I want to put my, my fight energy. I don't really, you know, I think we all have our things that we'll fight for, you know, you probably fight for your kid, you know, like in an instant, right. You wouldn't even think about uh, it. I guess so. Yeah. Right. So, sure. you know, you, you kind of, we all have it. We just, just where do you want to funnel that? And for me, it's not, it's not in training. I mean, I think that's fun. I think it's interesting, but I don't, and you know, it's a, it's a fun contest, but you know, I'm old now and not, I was never very good. So it, it's more like a, you know, I think I just apply it differently. Right. You know? All right. So what, like, what about anger? Like, I mean, cause like people who are into fighting, um, I guess everyone's got anger and right. fighting is a way to channel it. Like, do you, you ever, did you ever, do you have like an angry streak or a temper? Well, you know, it was interesting because as, as I was writing Contenders, you know, as I, as I was going along, I was like, I'm not really getting there, you know, not getting to that place where, because there's a big difference between fighting and, and violence. And, and sometimes there's not, right? There's a marriage, but sometimes they're separated, you know? So I, I was like, I need to sort of get to that, you know, because a lot, for a lot of people, fighting is violence. And um, so I had to write this scene that was just, that was about that, you know, just about getting to that a really ugly place where the two come together. And, um, that was hard for me to write. I don't, I, you know, I, I don't, I once went to train angry one, one time in my whole life and, and I did great. (laughs) And I, and (laughs) I, beat the shit out of somebody, (laughs) but I hated it. You know, I, I walked away completely exhilarated and feeling disgusted with myself. You know, it was like that, like I needed a shower for more reasons than one. And I was like, this is just, I just feel disgusting, you know? So, um, so I, I, I get it. I, I understand that. And it is a release, but it's like a dirty release, you know? And how many, but how many people when you're in this world that you come across are in, into fighting because they have like an anger issue? Not many, it sounds like. Well, I think, I think sometimes people do. I, You'd be surprised at how many fighters, the professional fighters even, or, or these masters, that you know, these crazy masters that were bullied. They went into it because they were bullied. That's usually the, the driving force behind it. Like when they were eight, you know, they were relentlessly picked on um, and beaten up, et cetera. So they become these crazy, crazy people. Who are like, yeah, pick on me yeah. now. I'll- right. I know. It's kind of, but, you know, you wouldn't know it with any of them they're just people you'd push off a bar stool you know they just they don't look it oh know? really yeah that's another interesting thing because i mean I th- the mma guys they do look yeah um, yeah like they're pretty cut yeah they're like <laughs> badass athletes but um when it comes to the martial arts you could be somebody who's totally uh unassuming who happens to that's be fat <laughs> yeah it's like a fat ninja it's like chris it's farley full of donuts yeah yeah, yeah totally <laughs> by the way that's yeah. awesome if you can pull that off you're my hero <laughs> would be full of donuts and still fight yeah just be like a just be like a donut eating ninja that's a that's a right. it's a rare human feat yeah i think there are a lot of them actually hmm. yeah but you'd never know never right? would yeah yeah okay so uh college you go to jersey you finish up with japan you get to jersey you have like what an uninspiring senior year in jersey except right. for these rare uh, forays into new york city and then where did you uh where did you go to school i went to school i went to undergrad at grinnell college in iowa and, um, Why that there? was cause it was really far from New Jersey. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I mean, it's five in Grinnell. I mean, I, uh, it's, a, it? it's so weird. I mean, it, it, I don't, I really like the school. It's, it's so interesting cause it's, um, 
you know, it's got really smart people there and it's kind of like a think tank environment because there's nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. The next town is, you know, half an hour away. So, um, people really, it's just the education just kept going. So it was, it was really interesting for me to be in that kind of small environment with, um, just ideas all the time. What, what were you studying? I was studying English literature. Oh, okay. Reading, you know. So you had a really academic college experience where you were really, you were really doing college. Yeah, I think I did college. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember one semester I was reading, I read War and Peace, uh, War and Peace, Anna Karenina, and uh, Middlemarch, all in the same semester. I, I mean, I was just reading all the time. I was just me under a tree reading. <laughs> that That's what college is supposed to be, right? <laughs> it was awesome. I really loved it. You didn't fuck around too much. No, no, I didn't. Not, I mean, a little. A little. You know, Not I was you. working. I was, was kind of poor, so I was working all the time. I had like all these jobs and I slung pizzas. Um, and I, what does that I mean? worked. You cooked them or you delivered them? I did both. Did. I cooked and delivered. I, really deli- I, deli- I have delivered pizza. pizzas all over Boulder, Colorado. That was my Really? Yeah, yes. Oh, I probably tipped you then. Maybe. Really well. I gave yeah. you like awesome tips. Any, anybody, who's ever, anybody who's ever worked in pizza always tips well, I've found. I mean, that's yeah. like yeah. It's like the old rule. But yeah, I used, yeah. I used to drive around that town all, like, all over the place. Yeah, with pizzas. Um, okay, so you get out of Grinnell. I mean, what did you like? Was it, it sounds boring. You were just reading Tolstoy the whole time. Yeah, I know, but it wasn't because it's Tolstoy. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> you like you like the Russians. I do. They're so cynical, and they, you know, I like the darkness. I, I, you know, I just like going to that place of, um, you know, finding out the darkness in the human soul. I think that's really interesting. Right, peer into it. This is this coming from a girl who worked in a death ward when she was seventeen years old. <laughs> Yeah, actually, you're making me sound like I actually had a plan in life. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just a, there's a corollary. I like talking to you, Brad. Uh, yeah. And so you were. Uh, you, I'll pay you later. <laughs> but you were uh, you were thinking to yourself, I'm going to be a writer at that point. I mean, clearly, you're studying English literature. I mean, did you think I was, I'm going to teach? Did you think I'm going to write this stuff? I didn't actually think I was going to be a writer. <clears throat> I um. I wanted to be a musician, but I hate perform. I'm really scared of performing. So I, I didn't, um, you know, do all the things that you need to do to be a musician. I was writing little music, you know, by myself and thought I was so good, but, you, um, you play an instrument. Yeah. Piano. But then I, then I, uh, you know, one day I woke up and I was, I remember this very clearly. I was 19 years old. I woke up and I said, I want to write books. And then I was still asleep and I kind of flung open the door of my dorm room and said, I want to write books. And my wait, friend wait, wait, was, wait, 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 you actually woke up and said this out yes. loud. I and, want to write books. And then you opened your, your <laughs> yeah. dorm room door and you said it out loud again publicly. Publicly. And there was my friend there. He was, you know, studying with a highlighter and he looked up and he's like, so go write books. And I was like, Oh, Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> so then I didn't write books for a while, but, um, but you know, that was my moment of realizing that I wanted to be a writer because, and then, you know, I was talking to a friend and I was like, how no one makes it as a writer is ridiculous. I really shouldn't even be thinking of it. And she's like, well, someone has to, you know, and she's like, why not you? And I I think I put that in my book. And and I was like, well, you know, yeah, someone has to. And, and I I think I've realized over time that it's really just the most, um, you know, stubborn people who stick with it. So I'm really, I, I think I'm qualified in that area. I'm a really stubborn person. So 
Um, so I think that gave me a, you know, that extra boost to stick with it. And you have to have, do you have a clear sense of why you do it? I just love books. I just love literature. I mean, you know, if I could have in my coffin, if I had a coffin, which I hope I don't have a coffin because we're going to live forever, right? We've established (laughs) that already. Um, but I think I would just load books in there and then be buried with books. That's really creepy too. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking there's not going to be enough room. That coffin's going to be claustrophobic. (laughs) I'm looking at my shelf. I'm like, well, I'm just going to have to do some, make some hard choices here. What what, um, what would you bring with you? Do you have a book that you would like, cannot part with? Oh gosh. Not one. Well, your book, of course. Yes. Yes. (laughs) You know, attention deficit disorder. That's totally going in there. Um, but, uh, bury them all. Yeah. I know. I feel the same way sometimes. I don't know. I mean, so many, I think, I don't know about you, but I mean, don't you have books that formed you? Yeah. I mean, I, not too many, but yeah, there, I mean, I feel like uh, journey to the end of the night, the Celine book was like that one to me, like I was like, okay, I put it down and I was like, all right, that's it. That's the best book I've ever read. Like I, right, right. but it, a lot of it has to do with timing too. Like whatever mood you're in at that period in your life and you know, when you come to a book and when it comes to you, like it, it all kind of synced up for me then. But um, mm. there's something very dark and honest and true about that book and funny. Um, right. but he was a mess. I mean, you know, in, mm-hmm. in his, uh, in his life. So it's like, I have some difficulty sometimes reconciling that. Um, he was like a Nazi sympathizer, <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, yeah, uh, but he also had like, you know, he was also a war hero in world war one and had like, you know, horrific war injuries and he had a burden, you know, so who knows what was going on neurologically with him. But that book you know, uh, to me had all kinds of, uh, good humanity in it, you know, even if it was dark. Right. Right. I have a friend, he was reading a book recently and he said, he just, it was so beautiful. He's like, this has never happened to me before, but he said, I just started shaking. And then I dropped the book because he couldn't, because it's just too unbearably beautiful. It's a little melodramatic. I don't know. It is. It is. It's pretty, un- <laughs> this is from a guy who like, you know, not at all. So I, I don't know, I, but I kind of sometimes understand that where you're just so shaken, shaken by the beauty or the, you know, truth of something that you're reading, and it, it's in you forever. It's changed you, and I, I think that's a, just an amazing so thing hard. that books so, have. Yeah, it is, but it's so hard for me to find that. Like I, I, I find as I get older, it's harder and harder for me to find books that I like. Right, I hate most books. Isn't that? I mean, it's, I don't want to sound like a like I have a bad attitude, but it's like I could do without most books or I just have a hard time finding that book that like, like I'm reading a book right now. Okay. I'm reading uh, the snow leopard by Peter Matheson and I admire it. I admire it. It's beautiful writing. The guy can write nature like really, really well. He's into the Zen thing and he can write about that. Well, I mean, you know, I like all, I, I should love this book and right. I like it enough to finish it, which is says, you know, which says something uh, very positive about it. Cause I'll usually I'll just put something down if I'm not into it, but I don't, right. I don't love it. I don't love it. And, 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 you know, this is a national book award winning book or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, you know, uh, and I'm kind of, and the thing about it is that, uh, or the thing that I'm trying to say is that I'm disappointed in myself <laughs> Why? for not liking it more. It's like, what's it, you know, I can't access this the way maybe I should be or something, or I should be able to appreciate this more, but I find it hard to find those books that just like absolutely electrify me. And if I find a book that like, I literally think about when I'm not with it and I have to like, just, I have to finish it. And right. reading it is effortless. It's like breathing, just turning the pages, you know. Uh, right. I love that experience, but I find it harder to find as I get older. Yeah, I think it's because we we become very specific people, right? And a book is a spe- is very specific as well, right? So if you really 
write the book that you are, you know, if you're writing, I think in some ways, the better the book, the more specific it is. And it's almost like they're, they're searching for that, their, their intellectual mate, but that intellectual mate isn't, it's, it's not like, oh, that's just someone who's as smart as you and someone has clever, whatever. It's just, it's actually, again, it's a very specific like frequency that they're putting out and you have to pick up on that um, because you put out the same frequency, you know? So I, I think books, I, you know, finding those books, it's like you, you connect with the writer in a way that's completely different from the way you connect with someone in real life. But it's like a best friendship almost. I mean, I'm sounding really cheesy right now, but, yeah, but I get it. I get it. Yeah. You know, you're meeting, you know, this, this total intellectual meet, you know, with a book. And that's, and when that happens, I just read everything that writers ever written. Right. Right. <laughs> you know? Well, and I should say in Peter Matheson's defense, I bought his, I bought a novel because I'm right. This, the, the Snow Leopard is nonfiction. Mm-hmm. And then there's this novel um, that he won the National Book Award for. Not that it's, you know, it's not all about the awards, but I just, it's considered, I think, his, his best, one of his best works of fiction, but uh, I bought it. So I'm going to, I'm going to give that a shot. Uh, right. So, well, I don't know why life's short. You know, there's lots of books, you know, like, right. that you can, I, I kind of feel like if you and an author don't gel, they can be like perfectly wonderful and you can even like them as a person, right. but, but you just don't, you don't gel aesthetically and that's fine. What's yeah? I guess I yeah. I'm trying to think of like the last book that like I just absolutely tore through, but I'm not gonna. I can't put myself on the spot. I won't be able to think of it. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm trying to too, and I can't. <laughs> <laughs> like, what did I last tear through? Right. So, uh, like female MMA fighting, uh, is that something you watch as a spectator? Like for Sometimes, fun? yeah. Ronda Rousey, man, she's she's an ass kicker. Gosh, yeah. <laughs> she's they're having trouble finding i mean they're just gonna have to let her fight men because she just they, dropped, she just beat some woman in like 30 seconds right yeah they can't find anyone to match her she's such a I, I don't know i i've heard it said that you know there's just you know women athletes of that caliber often go into different sports so they just can't find you know the sport is young enough with women so that they can't find women just to compare but she has this legacy of you know this you know what is, it, what is it about her? What is it about her that makes well, she, her mom was like a judo champ, and you know she was raised on. She was like, you know, with the mother's milk came <laughs> fighting. Yeah. So she, there's not much she doesn't know. She could just she could kick my ass. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! She kick my ass. That's that's without question. I mean, fine. I, I'm fine with that. I just want to make sure yeah. that I mean, it's just that, that's absolutely true. See, this is okay. <laughs> this I think I would watch. I think I like, I can't watch MMA between, uh, you know. But I, I think that one MMA that I might watch it. I would love to see, uh, what is it, Ronda Rousey? Mm-hmm. I'd love to see her just take on. Like there should be should be like a line of civilian like bros who think they can kick her ass, and I'd love to watch her just like whoop them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, there's a certain kind of man who likes to fight women. You know, when I found it myself, like it's you know, there's a lot of interesting egos they that like to float fight around. Women? They like to, they like to do it. I don't know what it is. It's a thing, it, but right. yeah, it's 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 a thing. Probably has to do with their mothers or something. Are there women but, who like to fight men? I like to fight men. You do? Well, you know, I again, I lose. <laughs> maybe I just like to lose. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's probably <laughs> maybe I I actually don't mind losing at all. I kind of I learn a lot when I lose, and I feel like I get better. Um, yeah, it's weird. I found, you know, training when I was doing Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is, um, you know, it's very 
physical. I mean, you're just like, you know, crushing each other on a mat. It's, it's ground fighting. So, um, but I found I did not like to do it with women at all because I actually have this weird chivalry, even though I'm a woman. And I was like, well, I don't want to do that. You know, I don't want to hurt. That might hurt her. <laughs> but you have no such you have no such uh, problem when it comes to men. You're no, right. not at all. Right. I feel, but they do with me. So you have to find men who are willing to fight you without them being creeps. It's kind of it's a hard thing. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, so like they kind of like the fact that you're willing to lose and that you feel like you learned something from it. Like all of this seems psychologically healthy in the context of being a novelist. You know what I'm saying? Like the the willingness. Oh, to- you know. This is therapy hour for me. <laughs> well, but I mean, Thank you. no, but I think so. I think like, you know, to have that sort of attitude competitively, um, you know, you talk about the stubbornness and you talk about, uh, you know, just that kind of will to continue in the face of uncertainty or difficulty or, you know, you have to scrap whatever seven tenths of what you wrote. Right. Uh, yeah, at least, at least, at least. I mean, like, that's not something that everybody can tolerate. Yeah. I think, you know what it is though? I, I think, um, I think writers love underdogs and I think we all see ourselves as underdogs. I, I, I just don't, I mean, maybe if you get really famous, you're, you become the overdog and you like being the overdog, but I think we, I think most of us feel that compassion with the underdog and that identity with the underdog. So, um, so I think that's more of a, you know, I, I don't know. Do you feel that way? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I definitely have a sympathy for underdogs and I think like any, any writer, any writer who's trying to make a go of it with the idea that like, maybe it'll be me who gets the golden ticket and gets to make it. I mean, you're, you're Charlie Bucket, you know, that's it. Right. I mean, right. I mean, that's, that's the way that the, the game is. And I wish I had had a clearer understanding of that when I started. I think like, I think that you almost have to kind of be blind to it to a certain extent. Right. Otherwise you'll never get off the ground. You know what I'm saying? Like you can't think too much about the odds when you're, sitting down to write a book or get started as a writer, but no. um, it is, but it, it is real. I mean, even if you're really, really, really good and you have all the work ethic in the world, it still comes down to uh, having some considerable luck. And, and you talk about, like you were right. talking earlier about tapping into the frequency or having like your work speak to somebody, you know, at a, whatever frequency, like, like, right. what do you, like that's a weird thing. And like when a book really hits and speaks to a lot of people at once, uh, and I'm speaking in particular of uh, like literary work as opposed mm-hmm. to, I mean, I think popular fiction or genre fiction, if it's some great big plot and there's like monsters and, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, what I'm saying is I get the mass appeal of that, you know, that right. escapism and like a well plotted story and, you know, you, it doesn't require too much of people in terms of the uh, mental right. effort. Like I can understand more why that would have like a, you know, a wider audience, but when somebody writes something literary and introspective and very specific and personal and deep and dark and somehow that catches right that's interesting to me like what it like i mean i think all of us spend a lot of time trying to figure out why it is that certain books go and others that are very good don't right right i know and you know i don't i don't know about you but i think you know as a woman taking on topics that are very unladylike um it's I'm pretty much guaranteed that they're not going to go. <laughs> you know? I, don't know. I don't know. It's, you know, I, well, you know, I, I had with contenders, you know, it was, it was a struggle. People, you know, that there'd be. Yeah. What happened publishing publication wise? Cause you've published, oh, it was Atl- a nightmare. you've published in the Atlantic. Have you published in the New Yorker? Yeah. So yeah. You, I had a short story there. Yeah. So um, you've got some, you've got some street cred and then you took this book out, which cuts against the grain a little bit and tells, um, a tale of what an unusual female protagonist, uh, right, who beats men up and steals their wallets. Yeah. Right? And what happened when you took it out? Um, 
Well, I, I can't, we got this rush of, in, you know, oh yes, we're going to, we're going to buy this. And then the marketing people, it's, it was interesting because I think last go around when I did this before the marketing departments weren't as powerful as they are in, in corporate publishing these days. And, and they were like, no way we can't sell this. This is, the, and they said their thing was, um, it, we can't figure out what genre it is. We can't figure out how to sell this. Um, so if we can't figure out how to sell it, you're not allowed to buy it. So one by one, the editors fell. And there was one editor. She was really, she was really interesting. She kept trying to figure out a way to sort of juke the system and and move around and and buy something I hadn't written and hadn't even conceived of yet, but slip this thing in somehow. And it was it was really I, I couldn't figure out what she was trying to do. Um, but then you know when we sold it to Rare Bird, Tyson was like, "Well, you know, I'm an independent. I, I I don't have to answer to anybody, and I like it. So you know." And he was like, "I really don't have much to change, you know." Well, I mean, it sounds like people like it. it. Sounds like people liked it. I mean, it sounds like the book got a positive response from editors. Yeah, but I couldn't sell it. It was really, it was bizarre. And then, you know, I also heard recently this. Um, <laughs> it's like you know, because we were trying to get movie interest as one does, and uh, and I was told in no uncertain terms that it will never be made into a movie ever. Why? They said um, because Hollywood. This is what I was told. Okay, they said Hollywood does not like. Books with strong female protagonists. Oh, give me a break! Uh, by That's the way, what they by said. the way, just the fact that you just said that, I'm now predicting that it will be made into a movie. Oh, I I would like that. You know, yeah. I think it would be cool. But um, but yeah, it was kind of it, it was, you know, I think it's it's just so different. You know, and writers liked it. The writers were like, I've never read anything like this. It's so weird, and I like it. You know, um, but it, I think that it was just hard on the marketing side because they were like, I don't know what to do with this book. It's so bizarre. Well, it's so thing. weird. That's the thing. I mean, you make an interesting point is that in the world that we live in now in the public, in the publishing environment that we live in now with, um, you, you know, the, the hugeness of it and the way that everything is sort of fractalized and books come, books are coming from everywhere. There's hundreds of thousands of books published every year. Right. Uh, you know, the way that these businesses operate now, it's that really the, the, the game is about marketing. It's like, right. how do we get people's attention? And um, that that's, you know, elevated marketing in terms of its importance. Not that it wasn't important before, but I was thinking about this the other day, like uh, not necessarily just in the context of books, but in the context of media in general. And I guess I was thinking of television uh, from my childhood. But, you know, it's great that there's all these, all these options now. Mm-hmm. You know, you can t- turn on the TV and do whatever and... Uh, there's a million things at your fingertips, whether it's on Netflix or on cable or whatever. But right. I, re- I remember when I was young, uh, you know, like everybody watching The Tonight Show, like the entire nation was sort of tuned into the same culture and everybody could kind of have a conversation or some sort of cultural refer- frame of reference that was uh, similar. Uh, not that it was all about right. The Tonight Show, but you know what I'm saying. And like now everybody's just got their own little niche world and I guess mm-hmm. that has its positives too, but... Um, it just, you know, it makes it so hard to access people. I think so, too. But it also does open up a world of knowledge that I didn't have as a kid, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I couldn't find out about the things I wanted to find out right. about because they weren't in my little provincial world. And then, and that's why moving to Japan was important to me because I, you know, I, I re, it was a whole other it was a whole other country. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, I got to learn outside of just, the, the stupid little things that you, you know, had access to then. Right. I mean, you can't go back. You can't go back. But it's just like no. it's just like a fire hose of stuff coming at you. And it's like, how do right. you? It's amazing that anything rises up anymore. You know, that anything gets a popular audience. It seems uh, 
seems like everything would have like a thousand people interested. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> at maximum. <laughs> Relative but to the know, volume. It's your thousand people. Yeah. Those thousand could be all be your best friends. Yeah. Well, if you, right? could, if you could ever meet them, they're all in like, you know, a thousand different <laughs> locations. That's a thing. <laughs> you can probably text them. Yeah. You'll have, you'll have brilliantly intimate uh, cyber relationships with all these people. <laughs> That's uh, the wave of the future. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been, uh, it's been so fun talking with you, and it's great to feature this book in the uh, TMB Book Club and to get to shine a little light on it. I'm, uh, I congratulate you on it. It's been really fun, and I wish you well uh, on whatever comes next. Oh, thank you, Brad, and I'm hiring you now as my therapist because <laughs> you've uh, definitely done a great tryout. Don't so. do that. Don't do that. <laughs> These are great questions. Thank you so much. All right, guys. There we go. That's Erica Krauss. Check out her novel. It's called Contenders. It's available now from Rare Bird Books. Rare Bird Books. You can find Erica online at ericakrauswriter.com. She's also on the Twitter. Her handle is at Erica Krauss. Thank you to Kill Rockstars for the uh, theme song music. Check out killrockstars.com. Uh, I kind of went with a bluegrass theme today. It seemed appropriate. This is uh, Craig Duncan. Let's see, this song is credited to "Will the Circle Be Unbroken" by Craig Duncan. I also played a little Ralph Stanley in the opening segue. Don't forget to sign up for the TNB Book Club, the Nervous Breakdown Book Club. Go to thenervousbreakdown.com. Click on Book Club in the menu bar. Nine ninety nine a month. New book every thirty days delivered to your door. I talk to the authors on this show. Do that. Support book culture. Read books. Get the Other People app. It's free. Go premium. That's not free, but it's cheap. Get the Other People app at the app store of your choice. Most recent 50 episodes ready for you. Waiting. Sign up for premium. Get access to everything. If you want to email me, the address is letters at otherppl.com. Letters at otherppl.com. I love live music, for the record. Don't get me wrong, okay? I enjoy uh, music of all kinds. I don't care. I don't discriminate. I'll go see anything. Get me out of my house. I just thought maybe we would catch up. I feel like it's an antisocial thing, kind of. Just questioning the dynamic of the, uh, of the event in terms of its ability to facilitate interpersonal communication. I don't think I'm that far off. No, 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 no. It's okay. No, 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 I can't tell you what my car smelled like. <laughs> Just, uh, I was in the car for like five hours that day. I toughed it out. I took one for the team. That's what you do when you're uh, a father. Please remember that Virginia Woolf in her diary once referred to James Joyce as being, quote, dull and self-centered, and that Samuel Beckett once referred to writer's block as, quote, agonies of galloping speechlessness. That's all for now. Thank you to Erica Krauss. Thank you to Rare Bird Books. Great talking to Erica. Get her novel. It's called Contenders. Thanks to you guys for listening, as always. I sure do appreciate that. Uh, what else do I say? Have a nice day. I'm going to go get ready to go to a bluegrass concert. M imagine me dancing to this song.
There we go. What's up with people who dance to music like this? I question people who dance to music like this. It's fine to like this kind of music. It's fine to go see concerts featuring this kind of music. If you dance to this kind of music, I'm concerned about you. Frightened of you. I don't care what anyone says. No, 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 no. It's okay. 